Hi, this is Leon Nafok. You're listening to the Audible original podcast, Fiasco, The AIDS Crisis. I'm here to tell you that there is a new season of Fiasco coming soon to Audible. It's a series about the 1984 shooting of four black teenagers on the New York City subway by a white man who thought he was about to be robbed. The incident turned the shooter into a symbol of vigilante justice and forced a national reckoning over crime, fear, and racism. Fiasco Vigilante will be available on July 27th only from Audible. Visit audible.com slash fiasco to learn more and sign up for your free trial. Previously on Fiasco. The closest election in a generation. I called it at 7.52 p.m. It was all downhill after that moment. Some strange, unusual things happening in Florida. Florida comes out of the Gore column. Florida goes Bush. The presidency is Bush. Mm. That would be something if the networks managed to blow it twice in one night. In some ways, you can win or lose an election based on what the TVs say. Will someone find out for me whether the Secretary of State is a Democrat or a Republican? Who would have ever thought you'd be on a plane heading to Florida to start a recount that could determine who the president is. The 2000 election wasn't really Jackie Winchester's problem. Four years earlier, it would have been. Back then, she was the supervisor of elections for Palm Beach County, Florida, a job that put her in charge of making sure that election day always ran as smoothly as possible. You have only one day to make it right, and you're dependent on thousands of volunteers who have maybe three days of training every few years, and you cannot control what's going on out there in the precincts, and things can go wrong. After holding the post for 23 years, Winchester had retired in 1996. In 2000, she was a volunteer with the Gore campaign, so she wasn't entirely on the sidelines. But it was not her burden to bear when her daughter-in-law called on Election Day to inform her that something had gone awry with the ballots in Palm Beach. It was in all the radios, all the TV were talking about it. Here's how the presidential candidates are listed on Palm Beach County's punch card ballot. Voters we talked to feel the ballot's layout is confusing. And she said, you know, I'm not sure I voted correctly after hearing that. Word spread across Palm Beach that if you weren't paying close attention, it was easy to punch through the wrong hole and vote for a candidate you didn't mean to vote for. Here's the problem. In Palm Beach County, they use what's called a punch hole ballot. To vote for the first name, George Bush, a voter would punch the first hole. Al Gore's name was listed right under Bush's. But voting for Gore required punching the third hole down, not the second. Gore is the second person down. This is the second hole down. I made a mistake. What made the crisis in Palm Beach so gut-wrenching was that lots of people seemed to have all made the same mistake. These were people who had wanted to vote for Al Gore, And instead, they'd voted for the right-wing third-party candidate, Pat Buchanan. I almost drove off the road when I heard that I voted for Pat Buchanan. I am not the only one that was confused, and many people probably voted for Buchanan, meaning to vote for Gore, and that's wrong. Pat Buchanan first rose to national prominence as a speechwriter and senior advisor to Richard Nixon. He had run for president under the banner of the Reform Party, and his prospects in Palm Beach County had not been great in part because there were a lot of Jewish people who lived in Palm Beach, and Buchanan had a history of making comments that were perceived as anti-Semitic. Most recently, Buchanan had reinforced that perception by arguing in a book that Adolf Hitler had never represented a real threat to American interests. Palm Beach County is heavily Democratic, with large blocks of black and Jewish voters. Not exactly Pat Buchanan country, yet he polled three times as many votes here as any other county in the state. 
Buchanan got more than 3,000 votes in Palm Beach County, six times as many as he got in Miami-Dade, which was twice as big. Some voters had punched holes for both Gore and Buchanan, meaning their ballots had been automatically invalidated. Common sense suggested that most of these people had voted for Buchanan unintentionally, then caught their mistake and tried to correct it. Even Buchanan acknowledged that some of his votes in Palm Beach had probably been meant for the ticket that included Joe Lieberman, the first Jewish candidate for vice president nominated by a major party. If the two candidates they pushed were Buchanan and Gore, almost certainly those are Al Gore's votes and not mine. The ballot in Palm Beach quickly became known in the media as the butterfly ballot because the candidates' names appeared on two opposing pages like wings, and there was a row of punch holes running down the middle. Most of the voters who had issues with the butterfly ballot were elderly, and there were a lot of elderly voters in Palm Beach County. Here's Jackie Winchester again. In most of the retirement communities, the big condos, they tend to vote early in the morning. And it was in those precincts that all of these people were saying that they were afraid they had voted for Buchanan. And of course, they did, actually. Winchester is 90 years old now. And when I spoke to her, she was living in a retirement community herself. On Election Day 2000, she arrived at the Gore campaign's Palm Beach office at around 10 in the morning and started taking calls from distressed voters. It was just really very sad because these were people who had been voting all their lives. Voting was very important to them, and they felt that they had lost their vote. And they wanted to know what they could do about it. They said there wasn't anything they could do about it. It could happen to anyone. A rocket scientist, it could happen to. <laughs> Meet Jim Pesh. Yes, he designs rockets. Let me get this straight. You're a rocket scientist, literally, and you had problems. As the gravity of the butterfly ballot debacle set in, Winchester started to worry about the woman who had replaced her as election supervisor in Palm Beach. Her name was Teresa Lepore. She had started working at the elections office as Winchester's assistant when she was still a teenager, and she had been climbing her way up the ladder ever since. As election supervisor, Lepore had commissioned the butterfly ballot design, and she had signed off on it. Others had seen it too. Both the Democrats and the Republicans in Florida had approved the ballot design in advance. But when the ballot became a national news story, it was Lepore who was held responsible for it. Supervisor of Elections Teresa Lepore says voters across the county have expressed their concerns about the presidential ballot. The voters need to remember that they should punch the hole next to the arrow, next to the number, next to the name of the candidate they want to vote for. Lepore didn't conceive of the butterfly ballot thoughtlessly. It was an attempt to solve a very specific problem. In 1998, Florida had passed a law making it easier for third-party candidates to qualify for inclusion on the ballot. In 2000, election supervisors across the state had to make room for 10 presidential candidates. They all dealt with it in their own way, which underscores how strangely decentralized a national election really is. Every county in Florida had jurisdiction over their own ballots. Teresa Lepore decided the 10 candidates was too many to fit on one page because the type would be too small. So she spread them out over two. She had said that she did it that way because she felt that she could make the print larger, that there are a lot of older people in Palm Beach County with vision problems, and that she, rather than, than do it the way the other counties were doing it, where the print would have been smaller, that she could make the print larger this way. Lepore remains silent in response to the anger. She says through her attorney she designed the ballot with the elderly folks in mind with the hopes they could see it better. And that's a heavy burden on the shoulders of Teresa Lepore. 
The day after the election, Jackie Winchester visited her old office in downtown Palm Beach to see how Lepore was holding up. It was a sympathy call from one seasoned supervisor of elections to another. She was really being, I would say, being dumped on, and she was crying. She was very upset. And I told her, you know, that I was sorry she was having to go through all that. I knew she didn't mean to cause any problems. Did you have any advice for her? No. Why not? At, At that point, there was nothing that could be done. The election was over. In fact, Teresa Lepore had a whole lot of elections still ahead of her. Lepore, who did not respond to my interview requests, described the experience in a 2004 documentary. I kind of liken the, the whole thing to my perfect storm. All the planets were lined up right and everything just kind of collided over Palm Beach County. As lawyers for the two campaigns descended on Palm Beach to litigate the butterfly ballot, Lepore would find herself working 18-hour days, facing down protesters outside her office, and receiving so many death threats that she needed a security detail to accompany her home at night. Later, Lepore would tell a reporter for the St. Petersburg Times, You want my blood? Here, take it. I'm Leon Nafok. From Luminary Media and Prologue Projects, this is Fiasco. Tonight, the debate over when a vote is a vote. 19,000 Americans were disenfranchised. They wanted to cook the books until they could figure out how to win an election they had lost. The results in this one county could tell the tale. This week, the start of the recount battle in Florida, when the legitimacy of the state's election results came into question, and both Republicans and Democrats became convinced that the White House was being stolen by the other side. Catherine Harris is probably the closest thing to a household name to emerge from the 2000 recount. As Florida's Secretary of State, Harris was the ultimate authority over the state's election results. On Election Day, her office was responsible for collecting vote totals from all 67 counties in Florida, then declaring a winner as part of a formal certification process. It was kind of a ministerial job. You add up 67 counties and you say who won the election. That's Harris. She was elected Florida Secretary of State in 1998. So, unlike Jackie Winchester, the 2000 election was very much her problem. If her job had ever been ministerial, that flew out the window very quickly on November 8th. Throughout the recount period, Harris was part referee, part timekeeper. Someone who advised county election officials on vote counting procedure and enforced statewide deadlines set forth in Florida election law. Harris's point of view on the butterfly ballot issue was that it was kind of overblown. I see why they were confused. I don't think I would have made that mistake. It was not that hard to vote for Gore. That was actually kind of simple. But if somebody wanted to be confused or, I mean, not wanted to be confused, but they're getting nervous in their voting, then perhaps they were. The 2000 election thrust Harris into an awkward role. On paper, she was supposed to be apolitical and independent, but she was also an elected official. And like the vast majority of elected officials, she had a partisan affiliation. Harris was a Republican. It wasn't a secret. She had run for Secretary of State as a Republican, and she had been aligned with the Republican Party since the start of her political career. During the 2000 campaign, Harris served as one of George W. Bush's co-chairs in Florida. She also stumped for Bush as part of the Freezing for a Reason bus tour when she gave out Florida oranges to Bush supporters in New Hampshire. Again, there was nothing inherently sinister about this. But when Harris started making one decision after another that seemed to benefit Bush, 
Democrats had a hard time seeing her as a genuinely neutral arbiter. The Gore campaign's press secretary has called uh, the Secretary of State in Florida a hack. Gore advisor accusing Florida's Republican Secretary of State of just trying to ensure a Bush victory. Harris adamantly rejects the suggestion that she was trying to help Bush win. Even though she obviously did want him to win, she campaigned for him, she maintains that as Secretary of State, she made unbiased decisions without any particular outcome in mind. In fact, the law was my only safe harbor. People still come up to me and say thank you a weekly. I'm in airports every week, so I'm surprised by that. But I've never accepted that compliment. I, I just say, hey, I didn't do anything special. I just followed our laws, and they were sufficient. One of the first laws Catherine Harris had to enforce after Election Day was one you might remember from our previous episode. It was the law requiring a statewide machine recount whenever the margin between two candidates was less than half of 1%. Bush's lead before the machine recount was 1,784 votes out of almost 6 million cast. So three one-hundredths of 1% of the overall vote total. We did a machine recount within 72 hours for the entire state. It was remarkable. It, that was not an easy task, but we did that in 72 hours. And at that time, and for the, the equipment that we had, computerization to get it done in 72 hours was a remarkable feat. The new numbers came in on the Friday morning after the election. An unofficial tally of all Florida counties gives George W. Bush a minuscule 327-vote lead over Al Gore out of 6 million votes cast. The margin between Bush and Gore shrank to just 327 votes. So five one-thousandths of one percent. Under normal circumstances, a fluctuation of 1,400 votes in a statewide race wouldn't sound like much. But Bush's lead had been cut by significantly more votes than the new margin separating him from Gore. It suggested that a third recount could produce a totally different result and maybe even put Gore ahead. The magnitude of the change in the vote total called into question the very idea that an objectively accurate vote count was possible. Many in this nation are getting anxious, what many call the beginning of potentially a constitutional crisis in this nation. Today's Neither campaign had time for such philosophical angst. From the moment they arrived in Florida, Bush's people were fighting to protect their lead. They want a quick, almost mechanical recount, have George W. Bush certified on the road to inauguration. While Gores were trying to find enough votes to overcome it. The Gore campaign is trying to lengthen out the timeline, gather the facts for any irregularities in the Florida ballot, and then move to a challenge. But what exactly was being challenged? What were the two campaigns fighting over? The guy brought in to answer these questions for the Gore campaign was Jack Young a lawyer specializing in recount law. On the morning of November 8th, Young briefed Gore's top advisors in Nashville. Then he got on the recount one plane to Florida. The question that was asked of me was, how does a recount work? What do you need to do if we are to go through a recount in Florida? Young knew what he was talking about. He was the co-author of a short book called The Recount Primer. The Recount Primer was in essence, a printed set of instructions as to how to deal with a recount starting with election night uh, and then going through the process. It, it's probably 30 pages at best. As Young explained to the Gore team, the big prize on the table between their guy and the other guy was a mountain of ballots cast across Florida that had either come up as invalid or didn't record any vote for president. These ballots could be divided into two categories, undervotes and overvotes. 
You can think of undervotes as the result of not voting enough, and overvotes as the result of voting too much. An undervote is an instance where the machine didn't pick up a vote. And overvotes, what you're looking at is people having voted for two candidates when the selection is for only one. There were all kinds of reasons a machine might mistakenly classify a valid ballot as an undervote or an overvote. With punch card machines like the kind used in Palm Beach, people didn't always punch through the hole all the way. Sometimes voters just didn't follow instructions. Instead of punching through the hole, they'd circle their candidate's name or put a checkmark next to it, or they'd write it out by hand in a random spot on the ballot. In a lot of these cases, a human being could look at the ballot and discern what the voter had intended, something a machine couldn't do. That was why, according to Jack Young and the Recount Primer, the Gore campaign's first step was to demand a hand recount in as many counties as they could. The more undervotes and overvotes were counted by hand, the more chances Gore had to eat away at the 327-vote margin separating him from Bush. If you're behind, you want to expand the recount as much as you can. Now, there's no guarantee, obviously, with punch cards that it's going to come out your way. But it's going to be different. And if you're behind, different is good. Young urged the top lieutenants on the Gore legal team to ask for hand recounts in all 67 Florida counties. This would have been consistent with the Gore team's main talking point from the days after the election, that all they wanted was to get every vote counted. We have consistently maintained that every vote must count. But Young was ultimately overruled. Instead, the Gore team decided to make a much narrower, more modest request and zero in on just four counties. Today, the appropriate Florida Democratic officials will be requesting a hand count of ballots in Palm Beach County, as well as three other counties. Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, and Volusia. The request was actually less modest than it sounds. Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, and Volusia were four of the biggest counties in Florida. Together, they represented 34% of Florida's population. And between them, they had received approximately 1.9 million ballots. Still, why didn't Gore just request a hand recount across the entire state, like Jack Young was imploring him to do? The practical answer is that at this stage in the process, there was no mechanism in Florida law allowing a candidate to ask for a statewide recount in one fell swoop. If Gore wanted hand recounts in all 67 counties, his lawyers would have to make the case in each county individually, and that would be a logistical nightmare. Some of Gore's advisors also thought it would be risky. Even if Gore could somehow get all 67 recount petitions filed, the Bush lawyers could just selectively fight the ones most likely to favor Democrats, while letting the ones in Republican counties go forward. At a press conference, the head of Gore's recount team, Warren Christopher, explained that Miami-Dade, Broward, Volusia, and Palm Beach had been selected because each one experienced some weirdness on Election Day. The only four counties in which hand counts were requested were counties where there was real anomalies that showed up, real irregularities. Basically, it was a grab bag. Palm Beach was in there because of the butterfly ballot. Volusia was in there because there had been glitches in their vote count on election night. As for Miami-Dade and Broward, those two got thrown in because it looked like there was a disproportionate number of undervotes there. But irregularities were not the only thing these four counties had in common. As Republicans and the media quickly pointed out, they were also full of Democratic voters. Certainly all of this is them asking for things and then crossing their fingers that they're going to get the votes there. They don't have any hard evidence. This recount of these cherry-picked counties that are designed to help Al Gore. 
Gore's decision to only ask for recounts in four Democratic counties was a PR disaster. It also alienated the Florida Secretary of State's office, where the perception among staff was that the Democrats were trying to pull ahead in the vote count in a fundamentally unfair way. It was unsettling to me that a candidate would cherry-pick four counties out of 67 to recount. This is Carrie Carpenter. She was a lawyer in Secretary of State Catherine Harris's office. I believe all of us on our side were of the mindset that it didn't seem right to all the other counties. Everybody's vote has to have equal weight. The Secretary of State's office did not have the power to turn down Gore's recount requests. That authority rested with election officials at the county level, who were organized into three-person panels called canvassing boards. Each county had its own canvassing board, and each one was made up of the local election supervisor, a local judge, and a local county commissioner. In typical election years, the boards played a quiet, largely administrative role. At the end of every election, it was their job to count up the ballots from every voting precinct in the county and transmit the total to the Secretary of State's office. Technically, it was the canvassing boards in Palm Beach, Broward, Volusia, and Miami-Dade that Gore's team had to convince that manual recounts were necessary. But as Gore's lawyers agitated for the recounts to start in the days after the election, it was the Secretary of State's office that emerged as the single biggest obstacle in their way. We're standing by in Tallahassee, Florida, for a news conference by the Secretary of State of the State of Florida, Catherine On November 9th, Catherine Harris announced at a press conference in Tallahassee that in accordance with Florida law, all counties had to have their final vote tallies into her office by November 14th, seven days after Election Day. We are still awaiting the results from the supervisors of elections in 14 Florida counties, which by law have until Tuesday, November 14th, to submit those returns to the office of the Secretary of State. The official position of the Secretary of State's office was that the November 14th deadline was non-negotiable. Harris would not be able to accept any late vote tallies, even if some counties decided to conduct manual recounts and weren't done with them when the deadline came. That was the law, and there was nothing Harris could do about it. I had no idea to whose benefit it would accrue. I just know I had had to follow the law. There would be those who would disagree, and they're entitled to their opinion, but I don't know what I could have done differently in terms of following the law. Harris became a media sensation in the weeks after the election. And after giving one particularly stilted press conference, she also became a target of ridicule. From seeing her, it's clear why Republicans are not normally caught up in the sex scandal. Is that right? I think that's... (laughs) When you're drunk, sure, but then, you know. In the Washington Post... Fashion critic Robin Given described Harris's lips as overdrawn with berry red lipstick, her skin as plastered and powdered to the texture of pre-war walls, and her eyes as rimmed in liner and frosted with blue shadow. Yeah, that race down there in Florida is tighter than Catherine Harris's face, ladies and gentlemen. Elsewhere, she was depicted as a ditz who had been born into a rich family and was in way over her head. Here's Anna Gasteyer impersonating Harris on Saturday Night Live. I am a public servant. I serve the people of Florida and will abide by their directives. Bush won. (laughs) And when he's president, he's going to make me an ambassador. (laughs) And not ambassador to some sad country where everyone's poor and sick all the time. It didn't matter. Appearance, intellect, never mind that I did my master's at Harvard. And they were acting like I was some dilettante. They said, she's the Brahmin of the highest order. She's... Just saying that I was uh, so wealthy to be discredited. 
But at the end of the day, the negative media coverage could not take away Harris's power as Secretary of State. And that meant she was going to collect vote tallies on November 14th, just like the law said she had to. You know, none of those things are pleasant, but I was elected, I swore an oath, and I was going to do it. As the deadline approached, all eyes turned to the canvassing boards in the four counties where Gore had requested manual recounts. And none of them got more attention than Palm Beach. The canvassing board in Palm Beach County was made up of election supervisor Teresa Lepore, County Commissioner Carol Roberts, and Circuit Judge Charles Burton. They are the members of the Palm Beach County Election Canvassing Board. The three have the potential to shape who becomes the next president of the United States. So here we go into ground zero of the Florida recount. This is journalist Jake Tapper. He covered the Palm Beach recount for Salon.com and wrote a book about the 2000 election called Down and Dirty. And there are three individuals there who are in charge of everything. And nobody outside of Palm Beach, or even most people in Palm Beach probably, has ever heard of any of them. According to Florida law, the way for the canvassing board to decide whether or not to order a countywide manual recount was to take a sample of the overall vote, at least 1%. In Palm Beach, that translated to about 4,600 ballots. The idea was to see how much the margin between the two candidates changed once those ballots were recounted by hand. If the difference was big enough, the canvassing board would undertake the laborious work of counting all 462,000 votes in the county. All right, good morning, everyone. We can have quiet in here. We can get through this meeting as quickly as possible and get to the matter at hand. The 1% test played out in public view at the Palm Beach County Government Center. And thanks to Florida's expansive transparency laws, the entire proceeding was captured on video for posterity. Volunteers from both political parties were dispatched to serve as partisan observers. Their job was to watch the votes get counted and register formal objections when they disagreed with the canvassing board's judgment. Most of the ballots being recounted were no-brainers. They'd been cast by voters who had successfully punched a clean hole next to their preferred candidate's name. These ballots did not call out for interpretation. And then there were the undervotes. These turned out to be devilishly tricky for the canvassing board to evaluate. These three people, Carol Roberts, Teresa Lepore, and Judge Charles Burton, now have to go through 4,000 or so ballots and assess for the ones in which it was not clear whether or not the person voted for Bush or Gore, whether that person meant to vote for Bush or Gore, but because it was a punch card, it didn't necessarily register. And this is where Chad comes into the scene. Remember earlier when I said Catherine Harris was the closest thing to a household name to come out of the Florida recount? I take that back. Chad definitely takes the cake. Chad's the munchkin of the electoral donut, as it were. There's been a lot of discussion about the hanging Chad and the dimple Chad. Right now, the name of the next president hangs on those tiny Chads and the people trying to divine their meaning. Chad refers to the tiny pieces of paper that get poked out of a ballot when a voter uses a punch card machine successfully. When a voter uses a punch card machine unsuccessfully, either because they didn't press hard enough through the ballot with their stylus or because the machine malfunctioned, the Chad can stay attached to the ballot, resulting in an undervote. And yes, as Jake Tapper notes in his book, the plural of Chad is Chad. And then there are different kinds of Chad. There is a hanging Chad that's attached to the ballot hanging on just by one corner. 
There's a swinging door, Chad, that's hanging on by two of the corners. There's a pregnant Chad, there's a bulge, and there's a dimpled Chad where there's like a little poke. The question facing the canvassing board in Palm Beach County came down to this. Did a Chad need to be partially detached from a ballot in order to count as a vote? Or was it enough for it to be indented, dimpled, or in the unofficial parlance, pregnant? The Palm Beach County Canvassing Board started out by applying a relatively strict standard, one based on a precedent set in 1990, back when Jackie Winchester was the supervisor of elections. According to that 1990 standard, a mere indentation was not evidence of voter intent. So a ballot with a dimpled or pregnant Chad could not be considered a ballot vote. The first A few hours into the count, Judge Burton noticed that without really meaning to, the canvassing board had gradually adopted a more lenient standard than the one they'd started with. The thinking seemed to be that a Chad doesn't just dimple itself. If it showed visible signs of struggle, it probably meant someone had tried to vote. The application of this forgiving and, according to the Republicans, highly subjective standard was advantageous to Al Gore. As they're doing this 1% hand recount, using this very generous standard, more and more Gore votes are being found. And the news in Goreland is good. Before long, Gore had picked up 50 new votes. It seemed possible that at this rate, he could make up the margin separating him from Bush by the time Lepore, Roberts, and Burton were done with the 1% test, never mind the rest of the county. But then something happened. At around 5 p.m., Judge Burton returned from a cigarette break and interrupted the count. It's hard to hear him on this recording, but essentially, he wanted to start the 1% test over, this time sticking to the 1990 standard. My concern is, you voted on this, I want to be with no one Over objections from Gore's lawyers, Teresa Lepore and Carol Roberts both agreed with Burton. And so the count began again. I guess my motion to the court is that... What prompted Judge Burton to stop the 1% test and restart it under a stricter standard? As it turned out, he had received some persuasive advice from the Secretary of State's office. I wasn't aware at the time that there were all these eyes on me. I later learned afterward that people were very suspicious about the fact that I had gone into a conference room with Judge Burton... But I was just simply following him into this room because he had asked me to. That's Carrie Carpenter. She's the lawyer from Catherine Harris's office we heard from earlier, the one who said it didn't seem right that Gore had only requested recounts in Democratic strongholds. When it was announced that Palm Beach would be conducting a 1% test, Carpenter was sent down to monitor the situation and offer explanations of Florida election law to the canvassing board members. That, Carpenter says, is exactly what Judge Burton was after when he asked her to step into that conference room. His concern was that they had started out using the 1990 standards to do the sample recount. And over time, the standard was evolving into a different standard that he believed was counting votes as votes that he didn't think were really votes. And he wanted my advice on this. What, what should he do, basically? He didn't know. He didn't know what to do. Carpenter advised Burton to go back to the stricter 1990 standard. And I said, well, when this ends, and most likely it will be contested, there will probably be a hearing in Tallahassee, and you're likely to be a witness. And I don't think you want to have to testify in front of the entire nation that you counted things as votes that weren't really votes. 
And he agreed with that. That would not be good for him. When the count got going again, it became clear that many of the votes that had gone to Gore under the looser standard were now going to be thrown out. Under the new standard, the number of Gore votes was still going up, but by much less. It was enough that had they not gone back and redid that pile using the 1990 standards, there would have been enough Gore votes to have certified the election for Gore, and then Bush would have been challenging the election. How do you feel about that? I think we did the right thing, regardless of the result. My job was to focus on doing the right thing, and I believed it then, and I believe it today that we did the right thing. Uh, Good evening, everyone. I should say good morning. Lepore, Roberts, and Burton finished the 1% count just before 2 a.m. They had discovered 33 Gore votes and 14 Bush votes for a net gain of 19 in Gore's favor. Now, the question was whether that was enough to justify a countywide recount. Kerry Carpenter's position was no. She told the canvassing board that according to Florida law, the only circumstance in which a manual recount is justified is if there's been a malfunction with the vote counting machines. When a manual recount for the entire county is done, it is because the manual recount of the 1% demonstrated some type of error in the equipment, in the machines that were used. Carpenter said that since the 1% test hadn't revealed any problems with the machines, there was no reason to have a full recount. Therefore, that would not be a vote tabulation error that would affect the outcome. It would be a voter error that may affect the outcome. Judge Burton, who declined to be interviewed for this podcast, moved to put off any decision about the countywide recount until the Secretary of State's office could issue a formal advisory opinion on what the canvassing board should do. Said, I would like to be more fully informed before this board makes such a serious decision that can affect this entire country. It's worth mentioning for the record that all three members of the Palm Beach canvassing board were Democrats, though Judge Burton had been appointed by Jeb Bush. Between the three of them, Carol Roberts was considered to be the most sympathetic toward Gore, and no one was surprised when she came out strongly in favor of a manual recount. And I decided that with 19 votes out of 1%, maybe there'd be 1,900 votes um, with a full recount. Teresa Lepore sided with Carol Roberts. That made it two against one. The recount in Palm Beach County was on. I move that this board conduct a manual recount of all the ballots for the presidential election for the year 2000. Palm Beach County, center of the political universe. 50 teams working seven-hour shifts will start to hand count more than 460,000 ballots. Who wins the White House could hang literally on what's called a chad. All that planning was still ahead. The vote to proceed with the manual recount had happened in the middle of the night. So for the moment, the members of the Palm Beach County Canvassing Board headed out to get some sleep. Carol Roberts drove home that night by herself. And when I got home, like 1.30 or 2, my answering machine was lit up all over the place, so I decided to see what kind of messages I got. And I was horrified with all of the death threats. Roberts' name and face had been on the news all day. The country was transfixed by what was going on in Palm Beach, and tensions were running high. And there were messages that said, you better watch out how you cross the street. You might not make it across. Um, You better watch your back. I have a gun. Things like that. 
and they came from all over the United States. What were they, I mean, what were they mad at you about? I'm not sure what they were mad at me about. I just know that there were an awful lot of people all over the United States that seemed to be very displeased that we were going to recount. That weekend, as Teresa Lepore, Carol Roberts, and Charles Burton braced themselves for the start of the full recount, Catherine Harris and her team looked to November 14th, the deadline that Harris had set for the canvassing boards to submit their final vote totals. The overall idea, the fundamental framework, strategic framework, was to hold the line on the dates, and slow walk the counting. This is Max Stepanovich. He's a Republican lobbyist who was recruited by a Bush campaign official to advise Catherine Harris during the recount. I was very partisan and known for it. Uh, There was no doubt about who I was, how I felt, or why I was summoned. As Mary Madeline once said, uh, I am a Bush liege. A Bush what? L-I-E-G-E, Bush Leach, a vassal. (laughs) Stepanovich's role in the Secretary of State's office during the recount is a matter of some dispute. He says he was there to work behind the scenes and make sure that Catherine Harris brought the election in for a landing. I told her at the time, you know, a lot of people run for public office, and they believe that when that moment comes, when that, you know, John Kennedy profile and courage moment arrives— that they will rise to the occasion. I told her that this is that moment. If you're going to do something, do it today. But Harris plays down Stepanovich's contributions. I don't want to discredit Mac, but that's he wants to insert himself uh, as important, and I understand, and I value his. I valued his friendship. Whatever level of influence Stepanovich had it does sound like he provided a kind of moral clarity to what the Secretary of State's office was doing. As he saw it, the Gore people were trying to cheat their way into the White House, and they were doing it by dragging things out until the vote came out in their favor. I think their perspective was what this entire exercise was about was divining in some fashion the will of the electorate and taking as much time as it was necessary to do so. Uh, We thought maybe a good idea just to comply with the law. The thing is, election law in Florida was not totally clear. Yes, there was a statute on the books that said the Secretary of State's office shall ignore any vote totals that come in more than seven days after the election. But there was another statute, a more recent one, that seemed to conflict with the first one. This law said that the Secretary of State may ignore late vote totals, but that she didn't have to. The Republicans who are trying to stop the recount cite one statute. The Democrats relied on the very next statute, shall or may, little words that could make a big difference. Like so many disputes that flared up during the 2000 recount, this one was decided in a courtroom. After hearing arguments from both sides, a circuit court judge ruled that may trumped shall, meaning Catherine Harris could reject late vote totals, but that she wasn't required to by law. The judge also ruled that Harris could not refuse to grant extensions arbitrarily. She had to have real reasons for doing so. After conferring with her staff and Max Stepanovich, Harris addressed the ruling by asking the county canvassing boards to explain why they couldn't make the November 14th deadline. The next day, the Secretary of State's office received memos from Palm Beach, Miami-Dade, and Broward, in which they cited legal confusion and logistical issues as reasons for needing more time. After reviewing the memos, Harris swiftly concluded that extensions were not warranted. 
she would be sticking to her original position. Florida's Secretary of State, Catherine Harris, has announced that she is rejecting any further efforts to recount ballots from the election by hand. The Secretary of State said that she will not consider any extension of the votes, the vote she has now in Florida. In a press conference, Harris announced that she would be certifying the election on the following Saturday, November 18th, once all overseas absentee ballots have been received. The reasons given in their requests are insufficient to warrant waiver of the unambiguous filing deadline imposed by the Florida legislature. The Gore team characterizing the secretary's uh, approach as Kafkaesque. We are very sorry that the secretary of state has taken such a rash and a precipitous action. By this point, only Volusia County had finished their manual recount. The other counties were taking longer, and now it seemed like their efforts were going to come to nothing. But the Palm Beach Canvassing Board was not convinced that Harris's word was final. So they filed an emergency petition with the Florida Supreme Court, asking whether they could still proceed with their manual recount. They are still hoping that the state Supreme Court will give them guidance about this particular county's recount. That is why there is a sense of some limbo here in Palm Beach County. All of this puts the focus on the Florida State Supreme Court. The Florida Supreme Court issued a response the next day. Though the seven justices weren't prepared to say whether Harris had to accept late counts, it was their position that, in the interim, Palm Beach was allowed to keep counting. With that, the Florida Supreme Court opened a new chapter in the recount saga. Once again, an ostensibly apolitical Florida institution was faced with an impossible mission, to remain nonpartisan while making decisions that had unavoidably political ramifications. Before we continue, I want to acknowledge that it's been quite a while since we heard anything about the butterfly ballot. You might be wondering, did we just forget about that storyline or what? That would be a fair question, except it wasn't really our decision to drop the butterfly ballot. It was the Gore campaign's. Because for all the attention the butterfly ballot got in the days after the election, it turned out not to be a viable issue for Gore. It was just a mistake that no one could plausibly fix. We determined that the butterfly ballot was a very difficult issue because the remedy is hard to figure. That's Benedict Cuny. He's a Florida lawyer who worked for Gore during the recount and led the team in Palm Beach. Cuny told me that even though the butterfly ballot didn't end up being a winning legal issue for Gore, it was incredibly important as a galvanizing symbol. The butterfly ballot was one way of signifying that something had gone horribly wrong with this election. And I think that did buoy people. It didn't have the same kind of legal vitality that evaluating undervotes or overvotes, but nonetheless, it had a lot of oomph and pizzazz. In addition to being visual and concrete, the butterfly ballot made the Democrats feel like their fight was justified. It was the flip side of the Bush team's belief that Gore was trying to cheat to win. Here again is Max Stepanovich, the Republican lobbyist who advised Catherine Harris during the recount. You know, the whole hanging Chad thing, the determination of intent, the longer that torture went on, the more likely it was that they would manufacture votes. And the more pressure built, either whether it was the media or whether it was in the courts or otherwise, the more likely that the dam would give way And you would say, well, they're registered in a heavy Democrat precinct. We'll just assume they're Democrats and would have voted for Al Gore. Let's count that one for him. So, you know, frequently people who want to um, give me a hard time 
will talk about us having stolen the election. And it is my belief, and I believe it sincerely, that we prevented the election from being stolen. Stepanovich, by the way, agrees that most of the Buchanan votes in Palm Beach were supposed to go to Gore. He just doesn't think it matters. I believe that on that day, Election Day, 2000, that a majority of the people who went to the polls and intended to vote, intended to vote for Al Gore. But we can't know that because they failed to vote properly. We're now going to take you to Palm Beach, Florida. In Palm Beach tonight, the voter recount is just beginning, and we just thought we would listen in as they begin their process. The canvassing board in Palm Beach started its manual recount on Thursday, November 16th. It was going to be a much larger undertaking than the 1% test. To accommodate the extra volunteers and partisan observers that were needed to staff the effort, the recount was housed in the Emergency Operations Center in West Palm Beach, a cavernous space typically used as a command center for government operations during hurricanes. Outside the Emergency Operations Center, about 400 Republican protesters gathered to voice their opposition to the recount. They held signs shouting out Catherine Harris, Go, Cat, go, and in Harris, we trust. Inside, volunteers and county employees took their seats and got ready to count. Over the course of the day, they would be joined by a team of lawyers representing Gore and Bush, a group that included John Bolton, the future national security advisor to Donald Trump. Among the local volunteers who showed up to help count ballots was John Winchester, the son of former election supervisor Jackie Winchester. Really, it was a crazy time. We had to get in line early in the morning, and there were all these protesters out there. A lot of people in the elections office were just kind of, you know, were nervous about it. John Winchester was no stranger to election administration. In addition to hanging around the elections office when his mom ran the show there, he also created the software that Palm Beach County used to register voters. Just like with the 1% count, most of the ballots that were being recounted were no-brainers. You could tell right away who they were for. But not long after the counting started, Winchester noticed that the Republican observers standing over his shoulder were doing something strange. They were objecting to every ballot. Every ballot that wasn't punched out for Bush, they were objecting to. I remember sitting at their table looking at a ballot going, really, what are you objecting to? This ballot is clearly a vote for one candidate. There's one hole in it, it's clear vote. I object. They, they would, they, so they were they, totally, they were objecting without reason. These are pronounced and hanging and swinging. No, they're not all pronounced and hanging. Just we don't have time to argue. According to recount procedure, every ballot they got objected to was passed up to the three members of the canvassing board, who would look over it together and decide whether it bore any clear sign of voter intent. The problem was that the board was getting so many ballots passed up to them that they couldn't get through them all. All right, your objection is noted. I see that. It's it's markedly different than the other ones. Whatever. When Jackie Winchester's son told her what was happening at the emergency center, she could barely contain her anger. The Republican observers very quickly figured out that if they objected to ballots, even though there was obviously no reason to object, that they could slow down. The whole thing, and it were certainly worked because the canvassing board was getting all of these ballots that they had to look at when there was really no reason for them to look at them. 
Jackie Winchester felt that Teresa Lepore had made a big mistake in having every single ballot counted individually. What Lepore should have done, Winchester thought, was separate out the ballots with undervotes and have the canvassing board prioritize those. The no-brainers, meanwhile, could be assessed in bulk, thereby minimizing the opportunity for partisan observers to slow down the process. That was how Winchester had done recounts in the past when she was election supervisor, and it had made for a much more efficient process. I was very upset because I felt that she was messing up the recount. I knew that she was aware of the instructions for the way we normally did it and that the way she was doing it by ignoring that was just chaos. So I felt that it was wrong. Winchester tried to get word to the canvassing board and to Lepore in particular, but she couldn't get through. In her frustration, Winchester later decided to go public with her complaints, telling reporters that her long-serving former assistant had failed her constituents. Winchester even attacked Lepore for the butterfly ballot, which she had previously regarded as an innocent lapse in judgment. Had we not had the butterfly ballot, had people not voted for Buchanan instead of Gore, I think uh, there probably would not even have been a recount in Palm Beach County. The election probably would have been over on election night. It is amazing that the consequences of what seems at first like a fairly small mistake. Did you ever talk to Teresa about that? No. Did you ever talk to her again after all this? No, I did not. I was pretty disgusted, I have to say. On the second day of the Palm Beach recount, Friday, November 17th, there was an unexpected development out of Tallahassee. Another day of hairpin turns in the court. Like a political Lazarus, Al Gore came back from the brink today, the Supreme Court of Florida breathing new life into his crusade to count every vote. The Florida Supreme Court had handed down an injunction forbidding Catherine Harris from certifying the election results until the court could review the case. The court, on its own motion, enjoins the respondent, Secretary of State, from certifying the results of the November 7th, 2000 presidential election until further order of this court. Well, the full range of emotions in the Bush campaign putting any plans for celebration on hold. The injunction was a major victory for Team Gore. Finally, the shot clock had been halted, and the possibility that Gore could still make up enough votes before the election results were certified was once again alive. Today's court decisions have given Gore the most precious commodity he could hope for, time. Oral arguments at the Florida Supreme Court were scheduled for Monday, November 20th. But first, the state of Florida had to deal with something more important, an annual ritual that briefly put the recount out of everyone's minds. This contest is not for politicians, lawyers, or hanging chads. Welcome to Florida versus Florida State. That Saturday, tens of thousands of people from around the state descended on Tallahassee to watch the Florida State Seminoles play football against the Florida Gators. Even as the recount saga crept towards its third week, politicians and local businessmen crowded into luxury boxes to rub elbows with their fellow power brokers. Tonight on a chilly northern Florida evening, the Florida State Seminoles host their rivals from Gators. A number of key participants in the recount watched the game from a private box belonging to the president of FSU. Guests included two justices from the Florida Supreme Court, the Bush team's top lawyer, Ben Ginsburg, Florida Governor Jeb Bush, and Secretary of State, Catherine Harris. If things had gone according to plan, Harris would have been allowed to certify the election for Bush earlier that day. Instead, she had to wait for the Florida Supreme Court to weigh in. I would have assumed this was a stressful weekend for Harris. But when I asked her about it, she said the Florida Supreme Court ruling just felt like another step in the legal process. 
you know, that that's what they ruled. They're entitled to that. So we just follow the next step that the law required. I should mention, Harris gave me kind of a hard time for the name of this podcast. It wasn't a fiasco. It wasn't a constitutional crisis. It was close election. And what was fiasco-esque was the way the media handled it. But other than that, she sounded surprisingly sanguine. Because I don't have one single solitary regret. I could do it over. People, many people say, boy, if you could wave a wand and it never had to happen to you, would you do it? But I'm so grateful that I had a chance to uh, be honorable in, in my actions. And so if someone could wave a magic wand and take it away, I wouldn't let them. Why are you grateful for it? I, I'm just grateful that I was... You know, if, if in a spiritual sense, because I'm Christian, you know, that maybe in all the earth I, I got chosen to, to handle that. I, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I feel like I was found worthy. At the football game, Harris spoke to a group of boosters and a couple of reporters. You know what I dreamed of today, she told them? I dreamed that I would ride into the stadium on a horse, carrying the FSU flag in one hand and the certification in the other, while everyone around me cheered. As it happened the game could not have played out more perfectly for the occasion. While the clock ran down, the two teams were separated by a single point, and a potential game-winning field goal on the final play of regulation time had to be reviewed by the refs. And the two officials talked to each other. Crowd's going crazy. I mean, the ball's on the other side of Moby. I'm just kidding. Florida State actually won that game easily, 30-7. to That is Florida's worst loss. It was a landslide. It was a rout. And let's go quickly now to Jackaroos. Outside the stadium, the game was only just approaching halftime. And though it wasn't exactly a tie, it really didn't feel like anyone was winning. the next episode of Fiasco, how the confrontation in Florida went from a tangle of courtroom proceedings to an extra-legal street fight. Why don't we do what Democrats do? I said, let's do some civil disobedience. Let's have a sit-in. Let's create a ruckus. Fiasco is presented by Luminary and Prologue Projects. If you're enjoying the series and want to hear more, head over to luminarypodcasts.com and subscribe. You can hear bonus episodes from the season, including extended interviews with Florida Secretary of State Catherine Harris and the late Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens. You can also check out Season 2 of Fiasco on the Iran-Contra scandal, or Season 3 on the struggle to desegregate Boston's public schools in the 1970s. For a list of books, articles, and documentaries that we relied on to research this episode of Fiasco, click the link in the show notes. Fiasco is produced by Andrew Parsons, Madeline Kaplan, Ula Kulpa, and me, Leon Nafok. Our script editor was Daniel Riley. Our editorial consultant was Camilla Hammer. And we received additional editorial support from Lisa Chase. Our music and score are by Nick Sylvester of God Mode, with additional music from Alexis Quadrado. Our theme song is by Spatial Relations. Our artwork is by Teddy Blanks at Chips NY. Music licensing courtesy of Anthony Roman. Audio mix by Rob Byers, Michael Raphael, and Johnny Vince Evans of Final Final V2. 
thanks to the NBC News Archive, C-SPAN, CNN, and Channel 20 in Palm Beach for the archival material you heard in today's show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.